This week's episode is brought to you by Campaign Refinery, an amazing new email marketing automation tool. Look, in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot to keep track of. We all know this. As much as we're in love with social media and the power of social conversation here at Social Link and on the All About Digital Marketing podcast, we are well aware at just how powerful email marketing can be. Email marketing is not dead. In fact, it's never been more important to help you leverage your presence everywhere else into the one channel that you'll own, regardless of what changes Facebook, Twitter, or any other platform makes in the future. I've known the founder, Travis Ketchum, for years, and he's been a past guest on the podcast, episode 15, if you want to listen to it. I've personally used his other products before, and they've been fantastic. The amount of thought that he's put into each and every one of what he's created has been incredible. I'd highly encourage you to try their free 14-day trial at campaignrefinery.com to see what world-class email marketing automation can do for you and your business. Massive thank you to Travis and Campaign Refinery for their support of the All About Digital Marketing show. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward-thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno, and as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chris. So I'm looking forward to this conversation, Dave, because we're going to be talking about remote businesses and how people can utilize this beautiful thing called remote working. But before we get started and before we get dug in, can you tell everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing and the journey of how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So I am currently living in Philadelphia and I've been uh, doing digital marketing for eight years, um, which mostly spans across two companies. Uh, The first was Ninja Outreach. That was an influencer marketing software. I was an entirely remote business working with uh, individuals from Europe, Asia, South America. I ran that for four or so years and then we sold it. Um, And then I started an agency called Shortlist. Uh, Shortlist is a digital marketing agency. We do website design and dev. We do SEO. We do growth marketing. I've also continued with the remote work model because I love it so much. Uh, the staff is also about 20 or so people, uh, primarily in Eastern Europe. You know, So work-wise, that's the, those are the areas that I've been kind of covering, agency and software. Um, I also have done a lot of traveling uh, because I run a remote business. Uh, I'm often just working off of my laptop. Um, so my wife and I had spent about five or so years backpacking around the world um, between like 2012 and 2017 or so. So there's a lot of benefits as well that we could maybe get into in the conversation. I can't wait. So um, yeah, I don't even know where to start. I'm getting excited. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why choose the remote side of things? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that some people worry about remote work. Um, they're not used to it. Uh, they may worry about uh, who are these people that they're working with that they've never met. They might worry about 
you know, is this person actually doing the work if I don't see them in the office? Um, and those are all, you know, those are all concerns um, that, that can and should be addressed. But uh, there are amazing benefits uh, to running and working with a remote team. Firstly, you can source talent from all over the world. Um, and, I'm, you know, if, you, if you're not tied to a, a local office, there are amazing uh, designers and developers and copywriters in places like Europe and Asia um, for prices that are significantly less than they might, you know, than they are from countries you know, where maybe many of your listeners are from, like America or the UK, for example. Additionally, the freedom that I mentioned uh, to be able to go and travel uh, wherever you want, whenever you want. Um, I, like I said, my wife and I took a five-year backpacking trip um, while I ran Ninja Outreach um, and still managed to sort of grow the business, grow the team, have a successful exit. There was you know, nothing kind of stopping us, despite the fact that I was in Bali or India or wherever I was. I also think that uh, in many ways, uh, individuals can be more productive uh, working remotely. People love it. Uh, I mean, if you've ever actually been on the, not just running a remote business, but being on the flip side, working remotely, it generally correlates with stronger satisfaction in, in, among employees. They feel like they have uh, more trust, that they're empowered more, um, that they have more of their day back. They're not spending time um, in traffic or commuting, and that's time that they can uh, you know, work or, or do other things. So I think that there's a ton of benefits all around. It's not necessarily perfect. There are um, things that are difficult when people are not in the same place at the same time. Um, there are a lot of tools and methods to improve that, which you know I don't want to get into. I, I want to stop and allow you to ask, actually ask some questions. So yeah, but I think a crazy, crazy benefits. So uh, yeah, I mean, I spent 2017 completely nomadic. Um, I went to 22 different countries. Wow. Worked from my laptop whilst doing it the entire time and ran the the agency pretty much business as usual. I just happened to do it from various locations in Southeast Asia, Central America, Europe. And for me, it was the best, probably one of the best years of my life. I got to, mm -hmm. to experience things, move around, new cultures and everything else. And at the same time, it didn't affect my work. It didn't affect my ability to, to satisfy clients. And I think that's something that a lot of people fear, right? It can be quite scary to think, oh, well, I'm running around and how am I going to make sure that I work? And what about internet connection and everything else? And invariably, you know, the internet today is pretty reliable, pretty much everywhere in the world. There's a few dead spots, don't get me wrong. And you find those pretty quickly. But I do, I do understand what you're saying. And I've met tons of people that do the same thing whilst I was traveling. And I'm sure you did too. And it's just, you know, what you mentioned, the happy employee, the, the person who isn't having the, the life and soul sucked out of them by having to get public transport every day, two hours to go to work, two hours to come back and to basically get to an office and end up having to sit in front of a computer anyway for 10 hours. <laughs> right, that, yeah. that's, that's the crazy part, right? It's true. It's crazy how much time people really spend commuting. Um, every once in a while when I, I need to venture out of out of my uh, my hole here, um, and I may get caught in traffic, which I've sort of forgotten what traffic is uh, sometimes because I don't have a regular commute. I just go, man, how are like people dealing with this like all the time? And I, I'm like just sort of cursing myself that I, I happen to kind of decide to run an errand at the wrong time of day. Um, so definitely there's a huge you know issue there that's dealt with remote work. And the other point I want to just touch upon that you had mentioned was about um, people being concerned about you know, Wi-Fi dead spots and how you're going to respond to clients and things like that. And, and while, you know, like you said, that that's a valid concern, certainly, you know, certain parts of the world don't have as reliable connection as others, although you'd be surprised. 
Um, I will say that as someone running a remote business for a number of years, it really taught me how to be more reliant on delegating tasks, on outsourcing, um, and essentially entrusting employees to to get some of the work done because I, I wasn't always able to take it all on myself. I may have had like a six-hour bus trip in the middle of the jungle or something like that. And I said, okay, well, if this needs to get done, how's it going to get done? And that, that really trained me to be a much more hands-off uh, CEO. I think it was Matt Johnson on this show in one of the very early episodes. And we were having a chat and he said, my biggest piece of advice to any small business out there is to start right now and hire a VA, at least mm-hmm. a VA, mm-hmm. and get used to getting stuff off your desk. Because it's one of the biggest kind of traps for, especially when you're running a small business or if you're just starting up or anything else, you kind of think or you you force yourself to believe that it's all on you, right? If you're not running the machine, it just won't work at all. And you kind of take more and more on and you're trying to do absolutely everything. And actually what you just said, right? Being able to delegate and building a team around you, knowing who the people are, even if they are freelancers, even if it is outsourced, VA work, doesn't matter. But getting things off your desk, not just to be able to allow you to, to experience dead spots in, in terms of Wi-Fi connection, but also just right for mental health as a business owner. Mm-hmm. You need that kind of level of being able to take a step back and letting somebody else run with the ball for a bit, because otherwise you're just exhausted and there's no way you can do everything all day, every day and run your business at the same time. Yeah, so many people are in that state, in that sort of exhausted uh, entrepreneurial state. And there's a lot of information out there about productivity hacks, about uh, being more efficient and things like that. And while I think there is a lot of great advice there, there's really no better productivity hack than just another person doing the work. <laughs> like in the, 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 the virtual assistant, it's like the ultimate productivity hack. There's nothing you can do yourself to just uh, literally completely remove something like you can to just have somebody else do it. And so virtual assistants, I mean, there's so many available, uh, capable individuals out there um, at very reasonable, affordable prices. I've been, yeah, I've been working with VAs now for a number of years, ever since I read the four-hour work week that just like inspired me to hire a VA like right away. Better Tim Ferriss there. I'm a big, I'm a big fan as well. But uh, I think that was about the same time as I started doing the same thing. And it was like that, right. Mm-hmm. What are the mundane tasks that I hate doing? And now this sounds really awful, right? Because any VA out there listening is thinking, what a bad person <laughs> he is. Um, but the idea being was that it was exactly that. It was, you know, I'm spending too many hours in front of a computer. There's got to be some of this that I can start handing off. And it became exactly that. So whether it was, you know, I'd create content for the company at the early days and then hand it off to somebody else so that it was their responsibility to get it up onto the website, to then share the social media posts or schedule the social media posts for that week all the kind of small parts that actually all mount up really quickly. And you spend sort of 20 minutes here and you do that three times a week. So that's already an hour. And then you spend half an hour there and you do that five days a week. And then another 20 minutes here and you kind of start adding all these bits together. And you're like that. Wow, actually, you know, I can straight up free, you know, between five, six, seven hours in my week. That's huge. That can be sort of the difference between going nuts very quickly and, and actually managing your, your stress levels. Yeah, I mean, so so many of us are not really aware of how much time gets uh, "quote unquote" wasted doing those twenty-minute tasks that you just mentioned. You know, uh, you did the math, and it, it really is many hours a week in a month, and that's time for taking up a new hobby. It's time for playing eighteen holes. Time for spending, you know, time with the wife and the kid. I mean, it's kind of a game changer in terms of you know our mental health and just our ability to to kind of work on our business and, and also maintain a personal life. And, and that's I think the, where the VA really comes in handy. 
So, right. So you're in Philadelphia currently. Um, and as you started your business, you started looking around because when we say remote work, it doesn't have to be people obviously that are a million miles away and in three different time zones or anything else. But remote work, especially right now, right? We're recording this on the 21st of July, I think. Um, yeah, definitely the 21st of July. Sorry, I had to check. But <laughs> we're recording this, right? It's just after the whole massive amounts of lockdowns in Europe and all over the place. And actually, 90% of people have been working from home for the first time. They're kind of realizing what this remote work is. And I'm sure there must be companies out there that are thinking, you know, you've got access to the global talent pool. You've also got access to a local talent pool. And you can do all of this now pretty easily, right? The communication tools that are available to us, the collaborative workspaces that are, uh, that are available to us. And I mean that sort of even online, not sort of WeWorks and everything else, but things like Google Drive, being able to, to collaborate on the same document at the same time live. You know, everyone has the ability to, to almost be in the same virtual room together. This has to be like a huge defining moment right now for, for other businesses, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're hitting a major uh, tidal wave towards remote work. Obviously, we were kind of trending in that direction to begin with. Uh, if you consider, you know, uh, even just six months ago compared to six years ago or something like that. But if there was any uh, accelerant that could be kind of put on this fire, it was definitely something like COVID. Now everybody has been forced to, to work remotely. Companies that didn't really have the infrastructure set up to do remote work, their hand was forced to sort of create that. Um, people that are now experiencing Experiencing it are, are loving it. You know, a couple of people that I've I've talked with, you know, like my wife's parents uh, are both, you know, now working from home, working remotely. Friends that, you know, used to be going to the office are really, really enjoying it um, as well. So I, I think that, you know, it's going to be uh, demanded more um, by individuals and companies are already going to have the things in place because they've been through this. Um, and, the, and, and even if they don't, have everything buttoned up at the moment, they're going to want to be prepared for, I hate to say, you know, the next kind of COVID potential thing that might come out, you know, at some point in, down the line that people don't want to be caught off guard as much as they were this time. So I think that, that the, the, the wheels are really getting greased uh, for remote work. I mean, I think, you know, Zoom, for example, which we're using right now um, is a company that, you know, uh, people I think in our space knew about it, you know, digital marketing, uh, entrepreneurs, we, we know Zoom because we use it every day. But I want I have like my dad talking to me about Zoom. You know, this is this is a guy who uh, doesn't know how to use Bluetooth on the stereo. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when somebody like that is mentioning, you know, these companies, um, it means they're becoming household names. And that is essentially, uh, in, in my case, a big indicator that remote work is, is kind of like exploding. I had a bit of a blast from the past the other day. Somebody said to me, can we jump on a Skype call? I was like, that, whoa, that's, <laughs> I, that's I crazy. No, I, <laughs> I, I had to hunt down, do the forget pass, forgot password uh, uh, option. And uh, I managed to connect, but yeah, they just refused straight up to, to get with the times and, uh, and jump on anything else. I don't know why, but anyway, it, it made me giggle because I thought, I don't think I've used Skype in a couple of years. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was interesting and fun. But yeah, I think that's probably what uh, helped Zoom in their, in their stock prices more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Before we get completely carried away talking about remote working, because I love this subject and clearly you do too, the show I have to remember is called All About Digital Marketing. So I am going to ask you though, as when you were running uh, Ninja Outreach, you're running this remote business. How were you or did you use that remote element 
to help build the business or to help market the business? Or did you just kind of market yourself as normal, but you just knew that you were running remote in the background? So I think that you know us running remote. Um, on one hand, it becomes it sort of starts out of necessity in the sense that you know I knew that we were going to be going you know that we were, we were already traveling when I started the business, so I, I knew it was going to be a remote business from the start. But you realize that as you start to hire a couple of employees, um, and they are from different countries, different cultures, uh, they've been doing remote work themselves as freelancers that. Basically, being a remote company um, becomes not just a necessity, but like part of the identity of the company. Um, And it's really defined as being a remote business. And in the extent that that affects marketing and growth of the company, I would revert back to some of the benefits that I mentioned earlier with remote work, which is that we were able to source talent from all over the world. Um, We were able to build a bigger team on a smaller budget because people in Eastern Europe work for significantly less than they do in the U.S. Um, And I think for us, uh, you know, honestly, I I don't know if the company would have been successful um, if we had just started it in America and and not done a remote team, not without raising money. There's just no way that I would have been able to bootstrap it out of my own finances like I was under the scenario that we did it. So you know, the, the choice of going remote was not, it was very impactful. It was, it was not, you know, it shaped the identity of the company. And I really think it shaped kind of the path of it being successful too. Did you use it as part of sort of the, the spiel when you're talking to clients or, or other people, you know, we are a remote company, we've got talent from all over the world. Did you, did you kind of focus on that message or was that just kind of in the background for yourself and you knew it was happening, but maybe clients didn't really have a, have such an awareness? You know, I think I think with Ninja Outreach, it being a software business, uh, people were less concerned about, you know, how we were doing things on the back end and more concerned about, you know, whether or not the product was any good and whatever, whether or not it did the job. And I don't remember remote that being really a part of the conversation. Um, it is more a part of the conversation nowadays running the agency because with the agency, the client to employee interaction is a lot stronger. There's, they're often communicating with each other directly. Um, and you know, they're paying maybe like per hour for work to be done. And so the, the conversation of it being a remote business, people understanding that, you know, they're kind of getting better prices, uh, because, uh, they know that the labor is cheaper. That is a bit more of the conversation. I think that that is also, um, uh, a positive, you know, for, for many people. And they're always really kind of, you know, impressed, um, especially people that are not um, super aware or familiar with remote work to, to understand that we're running the whole thing out of a, you know, out of like a Macedonia for the most part, which <laughs> is a country that not a lot of people even really know where it is, if I'm, if I'm being frank. Um, so, you know, it, it depends on the business model. Like I said, with Ninja Outreach, it was, it was not so much part of the dialogue, but with Shortlist, it is. I like that. And we're very upfront as well. Um, I think there's some people that really don't like the idea of working or they didn't like the idea of working with a remote team. And especially now after the last few months, people are realizing just how easy it is to continue or have business continuity when you all work online, right? We have all the communication tools, whether it be Zoom, Slack, uh, Google, you know, there's even WhatsApp, right? We've got certain clients that we keep an open line of comms with at all times, even on WhatsApp, because it's super easy for them. It means that when something comes to their minds, they can just ping us and get in touch. And I think that level of communication makes the remote part almost obsolete 
it just comes down to the relationship that you can build, right? And regardless of where people are, I had one client in 2017 that used to absolutely hate me, but also because I never used to pretend that I wasn't doing what I was doing. And one day we had a call and he was like that, all right, okay, we finished the call, all the work stuff is done. Uh, tell me where you are. And I was like that right now I'm on a boat. I've just been diving and I'm waiting 40 minutes topside before I can go <laughs> under again. Um, I think at that point he swore, hung up, and then we spoke again the next morning. <laughs> but right, so, so when you kind of realize the sort of things that you can do and the, the sort of lifestyle you can live whilst also still providing the service at a high level, the communication, everything that needed to be done, but you were able to take a little bit more enjoyment about life, you were able to visit these new places and, and again, you know, just maximize the potential of life so that you feel great at all times. And that then comes back through your work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to also to add on that, I mean, yes, the, the enjoyment of life factor is, is, is huge. I mean, uh, you know, whether yeah, you're going uh, diving or, 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 you know, hiking up a volcano or the types of things that digital nomads are sort of known for. Another thing that's, you know, shouldn't be overlooked is just how much cheaper it is to live in a lot of these other countries. And if you are a bootstrapped entrepreneur, as I was, for example, when I started Ninja Outreach, um, this was also huge um, and shouldn't be overlooked for kind of extending the runway. Um, it would have also been very stressful to kind of be in the States with uh, a mortgage or an expensive apartment that I may have been paying for and just kind of trying to live this similar type of lifestyle that I was, you know, living while I was traveling, um, it would have also been, yeah, a very stressful kind of add on to that, that, that whole business endeavor. So another thing that should, you know, should be considered if, if you're at that stage. I like it. Right. So we're talking about Ninja Outreach. So you're traveling around the world and this is a software. So I'm guessing a SaaS model. Yes. So how did you start marketing, uh, your SaaS model? Yeah. So the, you know, this was, so this was back in 2014, um, and uh, SaaS was definitely, it, it was definitely known. It was, it was a thing. It was maybe not as common as it is now. Um, and, and same with, you know, outreach and influencer marketing, you know, very, very common topics now, slightly less so then. Um, so it was a little easier to, I think, get people interested in the software um, in the beginning, people were kind of on the lookout for for what we were building. Um, like I said, influencer marketing was was very trendy, very hot. Um, people were looking for all-in-one tools that would combine the whole experience of prospecting for influencers and doing outreach. Um, they were looking for it at um, you know a, a reasonable small business price point, so say fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars a month, something like that. Um, so that that really helped us kind of generate some interest with Ninja Outreach in the beginning. We did a lot of outreach ourselves, to be honest. Um, certainly, once we built the software. Um, part of our marketing strategy was just to use it, just to use it to reach out to people and manage and manage the campaigns and have people try it. When you do have a software, one of the beautiful things about it is that you can kind of give it away for free at almost no cost to yourself in many cases. Um, so a lot of the uh, incentives that we were kind of using to get bloggers writing about it, uh, affiliate marketers, you know, promoting it was saying, hey, we'll give you Ninja Art for life. You know, it doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't even matter. You know, just, we just want people talking about it. So that was, that was, you know, part of the strategy of kind of getting it off the ground. Later on, you know, a lot of content marketing and SEO helped build traffic uh, to the website so that we could finally, um, you know, not have to just outreach for, for every sign up, but that it was, it was much more organic. Um, we never progressed to uh, a level of, of any sort of sales team or, or enterprise sales. It just wasn't 
priced at that point. It was always a small business tool, um, but it was definitely it was very much an organic strategy. So a lot of content marketing, a lot of SEO, um, a lot of networking, you know, in Facebook groups and, and things like that. What's your take currently on influencer marketing? Do you think that it's it's a useful tool for small to mid sized companies right now as a useful channel or useful way to get their message and their brand out there? Yeah, I think it's very dependent on uh, the specifics of, of the business and the message and what they're going for. I think that there there were a lot of businesses that it's like yeah they they heard ninja uh, not ninja influencer marketing was kind of like the the trendy hot thing to do and everybody was looking to kind of do it and, oh well we have to be doing this because this is what everybody says we're doing and in many cases it wasn't really a good fit for them um, they may like just for example I mean we had people sign up for ninja Rich that um, they were maybe like a jewelry shop and it was like well how are you going to you know, get somebody like talking about your product, like your product is like tens of thousands of dollars. Like you can't just like ship this to a perfect stranger. I mean, it's just, it's just very logistically difficult, uh, just for example. Um, so in, in certain cases, influencer marketing was not very practical. There's also uh, a big question about influencer marketing and kind of the, the results of, of, of the work. I mean, influencers often charge a lot of money. Uh, they're not cheap uh, for the audiences that they have built. It could be hundreds of dollars for just a, an Instagram post or something like that. Um, and there's almost no upper limit. So uh, it's not always, you know, super affordable for a small business, you know, and it's always, you know, a question about well, how many people are actually seeing this message and then coming to buy and, and marketing always struggles a little bit with kind of tracking and proving its results. And so I, in some ways, it's no different than many other marketing channels that you might be, be doing with the exception of something like paid advertising. Uh, but yeah, it is always a little, a little tricky. So I think there are basically businesses and campaigns when influencer marketing really makes a lot of sense um, where, you know, like fashion niche, for example, where there's, there's a lot of influencers and people basically base their purchasing decisions around the influencers that they follow. Uh, but there are plenty of other examples, probably more so where influence, where I would not recommend influencer marketing because, um, maybe you don't have influencers in your niche, for example, or that's not how people make purchasing decisions, or it just isn't logistically or, or, uh, make a lot of cost sense. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you on that. And it's also the, there's been a lot of stories, right, where big followings that, that people have managed to build and everything else, and then trying to launch a brand on the back end of it and failing miserably because it's not because somebody has a large following that that means that that's a large following that is interested in, in, in X, like you mentioned, fashion, for example. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. You're almost better off, maybe, and I like your opinion on this, but whether you'd be better off trying to get a smaller following niche influencer that really is within your industry, your niche, and that can help you to actually interact with the right kind of people, not just the amount of people, but actually the right quality of people. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot... Um to be said about, you know, when you run an influencer marketing campaign, what is really important, what should be looking at? I mean, the, the, the easiest thing that, you know, just about every platform, social media, like Instagram or Twitter is going to show you is the size of somebody's following. Um, But that is just such a poor um, metric to kind of indicate, you know, the success of the campaign. Um, It's much more important to understand the 
level of engagement of the audience? Is this an audience that's actually, um, you know, uh, engaging with this influencer? They're responding to their tweets. They're liking things. They're actually getting a lot of visibility on the post that um, that this person puts out, um, as well as the demographics of that audience. And do they do they mesh well with your target audience? You know, is it the, the percentage of, of men and women and the age demographics and all those different types of things are much better indicators for whether or not it's going to sort of make sense. I mean, it, it's, it's very easy to manipulate the size of one's following. Um, I mean, yeah, so many marketers uh, are aware of different tools um, that people can use to grow their Instagram following, grow their Twitter following, a lot of uh, follow and unfollow types of strategies and, and things like that. You can also buy fake followers, frankly. Um, so these are all the types of things you need to be aware of when you think about running an influencer marketing campaign. Yeah. You know, it's a, well, I don't want to say it's not for the faint of heart, but it's something that, you know, you have to, you have to know, you know, you have to know a bit about what you're doing. I mean, I mean, isn't that always the case, you know? Absolutely. And that's why you and I have a job. Um, (laughs) So that brings me to what you're doing now. Um, So is there anything in particular that you guys focus on as an agency or are you pretty much all rounders? Yeah. So, I mean, ironically, we don't do influencer marketing, right? Uh, which is, uh, given my background and sort of the, you know, how much we've kind of talked about it today, yeah, it might come as a bit of a surprise, but it was just uh, it was just a channel that I didn't really want to get into, um, you know, in this particular case. Um, you know, we yeah, hang on, hang on. I have to ask, is that just because you spent, you know, those four years very deep in it and you were like that, I'm out? So uh, that's that's definitely a part of it. Yeah, there's, there's a part of it where you just uh, get a little almost tired of it um, just because it was such a, a large part of what I was doing for four years. But just also, uh, yeah, you know, I saw, uh, I don't know, the dark side of influencer marketing and I just, I just felt like I didn't want to run, I didn't want to be responsible for running that on behalf of clients. So that, that was, you know, part of it as well. Um, you know, we started mainly with um, link building and SEO, which also has a dark side. Uh, I, I, it's just uh, every, every side of marketing. Maybe, maybe marketing only has a dark side. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but basically, um, you know, what, what I liked about link building was that, um, you know, it was very much, um, the deliverable was very concrete. You know, um, obviously, the, the the end result that the person is trying to achieve, which is to kind of rank um, maybe higher in the search engines, is still uh, not as concrete or it's not clear how many backlinks and of what quality is going to produce the desired result. Don't get me wrong. But at least in terms of saying, hey, you pay this, we give you this in terms of number of links. It was very much, it was very transactional. You know, I, I knew a hundred percent that we could kind of deliver on that. And I liked that about that service. Um, whereas influencer marketing was like, you know, you don't necessarily really know how many influencers are going to say yes and how much of their audience is going to engage and things like that. And so that was just kind of an area I didn't really feel comfortable getting into. I like, I like, uh, you know, marketing uh, strategies and channels uh, where the results are, are sort of more concrete. So we do, you know, we, our, our core uh, offering had always been SEO and link building. Um, so certainly again, on page SEO, another one where you can kind of deliver um, kind of, a, you know, sort of a, on 100%, like you can kind of see the errors that somebody has on their website, you can run particular audits, and you can improve those one by one, and you'll see score and the website health kind of improve. So again, it's a very 
clear deliverable. Um, since since then, since kind of introducing with SEO and link building, we have added design and dev, um, which is another clear deliverable, uh, as I mentioned, that I really like. Um, and I like that it's not, you know, uh, just, it's not an SEO type thing, but it's more aesthetic. And we've also added some more growth marketing where uh, we actually will pair a client with a growth marketer on our team and that growth marketer will kind of uh, create the strategy for the company and oversee the execution of it, which often incorporates things like SEO and link building and design and dev. So it's kind of a good segue into some of our other services. I think that's awesome. And the one thing I've taken away is that you definitely do like clear deliverables, right? This is, yeah. um, and actually this is really refreshing. So and we've had quite a few chats with a few different agency owners over the time. And I think it was with Jason Yormack in a previous episode. Uh, and again, he was like that, right? Anyone who is overly complicating the monthly reports that they're giving to their clients is basically doing it because it's not working. Um, <laughs> And we kind of dug into it and he was telling a story, I think it was about the Air Force and he works with them now as a client and they try to basically run ads, right? To help recruitment on Facebook, social media. And literally the agency they've been doing it before was getting very poor results, but was showing, you know, 30 page reports at the end of each month, which had basically any metric you could imagine possible mm. that you could pull from all these platforms and even some other, you know, ridiculous kind of metrics that you just didn't need to be following, you know, whether it was um, sentiment values and stuff like that. The end results were how many people signed up to potentially get recruited, right? That's all they cared about. We're spending X and how many people at the end of it did we get? And I think that's something that's really Again, maybe this is the but the dark side of marketing, <laughs> which now you're making me consider is there nothing but a dark side of marketing? <laughs> um, but I think that is one of those parts, right? Where if you can clearly define the goals, this is what we're trying to achieve. And again, right, certain things. So we do a lot of social media marketing. We do a lot of content marketing as well for our clients. And it's not always easy to track straight away, right? And SEO, like you said, especially um, for that side of things, it can take a certain amount of time to start to see those results. But again, it's a fairly simple deliverable, right? Are we getting closer or further away from the goal? And the goal invariably is, you know, a key metric that's been defined with the client as part of their growth strategy or their plan as a business. So I think that's really nice though, to hear you talk about it in the sense of, you know, being able to just be clean. Uh, I've got a good friend who always says that, you know, keep it clean, everything clean. It's just, it works. We know what we're doing. They know what they're getting. Everyone's happy. And actually it makes for a much more pleasant transaction on everyone's side, I'm guessing. Yeah, hundred percent. There are, you know, there are two sides to the coin. I think that to some degree tracking marketing is very difficult and there are often a lot of ancillary benefits uh, in a campaign that are, you know, different from the primary goal. And and you get this uh, occasion where agencies want to prove and show all the value that they feel they've contributed. Um, And so these large kind of reports get produced, um, which I don't think is, is the right way to go about it, but I kind of can understand sometimes the, the, the motivation. However, on the other side, you have uh, a lot of clients that frankly don't understand digital marketing very well. It's not a super well-known field. It's not something you you, you learn about that much like in school. And, and often, you know, the reason that people hire an agency is because, you know, they're not an expert on the topic and they're looking for experts to kind of help them out. And that 
creates an opportunity that unfortunately some agencies take advantage of to to kind of dupe the client a little bit and to show them a bunch of nonsense that um, you know, to, to, to make them think something is being done or that results are being achieved and take advantage of the fact that the client maybe is, isn't aware enough to, to call them on the, the BS. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's given agencies a, a somewhat of a poor reputation, um, which, uh, I hope we can kind of improve upon in the future. <laughs> I think it's always a challenging one, right? I, I don't, and I don't say this about every agency. I hope our clients don't feel that way about us. Um, and I'm sure yours don't about yourself either. But I do think it is one of those things. And you mentioned it there, right? Because people don't necessarily have the understanding, it feels like there's an ability to kind of pull the wool over their eyes. But I think even more so is that if you start reading online, so there's nothing more dangerous, as they say, than a little bit of information. And if people start reading online, right, there's no two marketers out there that agree 100% on the exact same strategy. So you'll have people shouting at the moment saying, you, you've got to get on TikTok, even if you sell <laughs> accounting software to you know chartered accountants and only in a really specific niche, you should definitely be on TikTok. And you're like that, right? Well, I don't agree personally, but that's fine. But everyone's shouting about different sides of things. So it's very hard especially for someone who's relatively new to it or relatively small amount of knowledge, they'll read something about SEO and that's it. It will click that they just think, you know, what I need is SEO or social media ads. I, that's what I need. I have to push traffic through social media ads. And I think this is where I'd, I'd like to know from your side of things. When you start talking to a client, if they're invariably, do you find that what they think they need isn't, or sorry, what they think they want isn't actually what they need? You know, it happens. Uh, it, 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 it definitely happens. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, when we start a campaign, uh, yeah, we're, we're always yeah, very focused on sort of customer satisfaction. And I don't want to take on anything that I don't think uh, is going to kind of lead to sort of the end result um, that the client wants. So, you know, what we're not going to do is we're not going to do what the client might say they think they should do if we don't think it's going to lead to the results that the client wants. What we're going to do is we're going to try to inform them to let them know what what we believe is the proper strategy um, and say, this is what we would be willing to execute on your behalf. And if they agree with us, then they will. And if they don't, then then they won't. Um, but that's, uh, I think, the, the way to approach it. Because yeah, sometimes people they have, yeah, they, they've read some article, yeah, that, you know, that they need to be on TikTok, like you mentioned, or something like that. And they sort of come in with these opinions that um, it's, it's a shame because it's like they've done some of the legwork to try to kind of understand what's going on, but, but not enough to, to actually know, um, you know, uh, what, what should be done. Um, and, and you kind of get in these conversations where you, you have to kind of, uh, you know, ed educate the person a bit. So Dave, I'm going to start asking you weird and wonderful questions now, just because it came to my head. But if, if you could only give one piece of advice to any small to mid-sized business that's listening about their digital marketing, what would it be? I would say if you've got something that's working, see how you can double down on it. I like that. Do you want to kind of help anyone that's listening to sort of what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, to elaborate, I thought I felt this was kind of like a lightning round uh, I, <laughs> sort of question. So I, <laughs> I just, I love that, but I, I love the lightning answer. But in my head, I'm thinking people are going awesome, right? I'll just throw twice the money at it. And that might not necessarily be what you mean. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, 
Yeah, what I mean is you have to have something working, right? Uh, if you don't, then you know you may need to experiment with different channels. But I'm, I'm operating on the assumption that um, that a business is operating uh, because it's, it's got at least something working. That's why it's kind of a, a maintained sort of sustainable business. And if it does, I often find that people are saying, okay, well, that's working great. Well, we need to find something else. We need to find the next channel that we're going to approach. Whereas in reality, in, in most cases, people have not really exhausted a channel all of the way. Um, they maybe not have optimized it. They haven't experimented with different approaches to it. Um, if it's email outreach, they maybe haven't experimented with different templates or they haven't thought about how they can message twice as many people or, or whatever it is, or, you know, uh, paid advertising, you know, trying you know, different audiences, things like that. It's just a much more low hanging fruit. It's a lot easier to try to double down with something that's working than to try to make a channel completely from scratch kind of work and work on the same level that the other one is. So I would say until you, you know, you really feel like you've exhausted all the different approaches to the one thing that's working. Um, don't experiment with other channels, just kind of double down. I like that. And what would you say your favorite personal channel is right now and why? By personal channel, you mean digitally, like any, what's your perfect or your favorite channel whereby you consume or that you spend time or where you interact or where you're engaging what's your favorite oh boy yeah um, i told you some tough wonderful weird questions i don't know why it came to me that i thought i'd try this out and you're, <laughs> and you're the first guest dave that's going through these random questions yeah that's that's an interesting one um you know for a long time it was really blog content um i, I felt that that there was just such so much quality blog content out there um, obviously there's a lot of garbage, but there, you know, some articles that are just really super well written. I love case studies, um, reading about those because those are very results oriented approaches. Um, and it's kind of usually, uh, not a lot of ways to kind of fake, fake those. So, uh, you know, blogging case studies is sort of been my go-to approach for consuming, uh, information. I love it. And just before we wrap up, where can people get in touch with you and have a conversation with you online? Yeah, you know, I'm not super active on social media to be honest. Um I say I what? Only, we'll have I a know. chat about this offline <laughs> after this. We'll have I know. a chat. That's my that's my it's my weird kind of digital marketing uh thing um that I'm very like not on social media. Uh but I'm very responsive on email. Uh so you can always shoot me an email, uh Dave at shortlist.io. Um and obviously check out the website if you're interested and I'll I'll respond right away. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much. Uh, I could really have carried on the conversation just about remote working, but I have to remind myself what the channel's called. But uh, thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for sharing some of your experiences and hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Chris. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.